Good morning, Spencerville Church. Good afternoon. My name is Terry Ford, and I serve as the president and CEO of Avenus Healthcare. Today, I'd like to talk to you about our ministry, really our ministry of healing at Avenus Healthcare. It's a very important ministry. It's not new. It's been around a long time. In this area, it dates all the way back to 1907, when Daniel and Loretta Cress had that vision with Ellen White to open the Wa Sanitarium in Tacoma Park. It continues today, even in 2021. And I'd like to share with you more about what that ministry of God's healing means for us today. Now, let's, let's talk about this a minute. The life expectancy that we can predict for our own life is published every year. Average age of life is approximately 79 years old. Now, we work hard to extend that, right? We want to live our lives healthy. We take our medicines. We read about health. We want to live a vibrant, healthy life. And when you compare that to even 40 or 50, 60 years ago, the average life expectancy today is almost 10 years longer. Pretty good. But in the grand scheme of things, 79 years is not that long, is it? How do we extend our lives through the care that God has for us as humans? Our mission at Adventist Healthcare is to extend God's care through the ministry of physical, mental, and spiritual healing. We're sponsored by the Columbia Union, so we are a ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we carry with us this important idea that God's love for humanity can oftentimes best be seen through how we treat each other. Now, I want to share with you a story and have you think back in your own lives. Think back to a time in your life when you depended on someone to care for you. Now, for most of us, we think about our parents, right? That's a natural memory that we have. Mom and dad hopefully were there for you to help pick you up when you fell. They were there to help you get through life, care for you when you were sick. But for many people that don't have a home environment like that, or they experience a sickness or illness that takes them outside of their home for care, it's a serious thing, isn't it? At some point, despite our best efforts in technology and medicines, we come to the realization that we're going to depend on someone to care for us. I can share with you a story. I remember this early in my life, and I'm grateful that I was taught this at a very young age. 1976, I was six years old, and I noticed uh, in the mornings I'd get out of bed and my right leg would be a little stiff, be a little sore. Get out of bed and I'd kind of hobble a little bit. It, uh, you know, at first it didn't really bother me that much, and eventually I'd said something to my mom about it, and she said, ah, Terry, you know, it's, it's probably, it'll go away. But unfortunately it didn't, it got worse. And after a while, the, uh, the size of my right leg began to swell up more. And, and you know, talking to my mom and dad, they, they said, Terry, we're going to have to take you to see a doctor. Now, we lived in a part of the country that didn't have access to all the specialists and modern medical centers like we have in the, in the Baltimore and D.C. area. So we had to get in our car. We drove almost two and a half hours to a, a regional medical center. 
Now, even in the 1970s, pediatric care was still evolving. And a lot of times, uh, specialists were, were uh, not always trained in all the areas of pediatrics. And we found a doctor that was a general surgeon that offered to treat me. Don't know why we picked a general surgeon, but we did. And uh, he looked at my leg and, and he took me uh, over a number of treatments. He, he emptied the fluid out of my leg and, you know, it, it kept coming back. I'd go home, get better for a little while, but then um, realized that this, this wasn't getting better. And I still remember uh, traveling again to his office one day with my mom and sitting in these two great big green chairs, sitting in front of him. There was a big desk. Remember that from the 70s, they had those big iron desks and it was uh, just a surreal moment because I remember sitting there and listening to him and he, he told my mom, he said, Mrs. Ford, I don't think Terry's going to ever be able to run again. He's not going to be able to walk really well. There's really not much I can do for him. And I noticed something else. The fluid began to impact my right eye too. For when you have arthritis as a pediatric patient, sometimes that can happen. It can impact the, the ability to see. And he said, and there's a 50-50 shot, Terry. He's probably going to lose his eyesight on his right eye. Well, obviously, that was discouraging news. Uh, we got in the car. I remember my mom got up. By the way, he was smoking a cigarette at the time. <laughs> I remember this. He put out that cigarette, and uh, we stood up, and we left, and drove the two and a half hours back home. I remember being in the back seat with my legs stretched out and, and watching my mom, and I could tell she wasn't quite right. She was had her head down low. She was like the, the kids up here this morning with John. You know, she was, she was sad. And I asked her, Mom, what's going on? What, why are you so sad? And, and she said, Terry, I don't want to talk about it right now. We're going to go see a local doctor and have him uh, check you out. Because I just think there's something else. There's got to be more answers to this. We've got to figure this out. And so a couple days later, we got an appointment with a local practitioner. Now in rural America, General practitioners are trained to do a lot of different types of care. We rely on, we like the safety net. And we went to see a general practitioner and he, I still remember this. Instead of sitting across the desk from me, he got up, walked around the desk and he sat down next to me and my mom and he said, Terry, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna work together. I don't have the answer today, but we're gonna figure out how to help you. And over the next few weeks, uh, he uh, lowered my medication. I was taking a number of aspirins per day. That was kind of the treatment they thought at the time. And he said, I'm going to put you on one or two aspirins, or we're going to do a lot of movement. We're going to get you up and move around, get that leg stretched. And I think over time, maybe this, this pediatric arthritis situation will go away. Little did I know that a few weeks into my treatment there, I'd see him again. Now, in kindergarten, I was attending a public school, and I would, I remember walking in the front door of this public school one day and I was still kind of limping walking in and it was a windy day and that big steel doors, if you can imagine, on the public schools was just teetering a little bit. And as I started to go in the door, the wind caught it and blew that door shut and I put my finger back to try and stop it, my hand back to stop it. It caught my finger and it cut it off, just a clean cut. So I run inside and the teacher sees me and she said, we got to go see the nurse. So we ran down to see the nurse and they took me to the hospital and we get to the hospital and guess who's there? The same doctor. He says, uh, Terry, uh, I, I, I think we can help you on this. And boy, you're, you're kind of prone for illness here, aren't you? 
And he looks to my dad who had taken me in. He says, uh, Mr. Ford, and the school nurse was there. He said, go get, where's the finger? Where's the other part of the finger that didn't come with Terry? <laughs> go get it. And they did. They went back. They found the finger still hinged in the door. And I can't make this up. He, he, he had done this many times before. In the farming community, it's quite common to work with tractors and you know, different implements on the farm. He had figured out how to reattach fingers in some cases. 50-50 shot. He said, Terry, I can't guarantee this is going to attach. But you know what that meant to me at that point in time? Not a lot at six or seven, but as I thought back to that years later, someone that took the time and took the time to come around that desk to say, go back and get that finger. Let's figure this out, meant a lot. It was a way of an expression of God's care that I, I didn't understand at the time, but I began to see that the older I got. Not everybody is fortunate to see that right away with people. Sometimes it takes us a while to be able to experience God's care. The Bible speaks to God's care very early on in the book of Genesis. You've read this. If you'd like to, there's two texts today I want to share with you that are very important to me and important, I think, to the healing ministry of God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Now, you've got to picture Adam and Eve before we read this. I think about them as the perfection of health, right? Um, we know size-wise, they were probably big, beautiful human beings. And they didn't know what really a sickness was. But here in chapter 3, verse 16, God is speaking to Eve and he says, I will make your pains, keyword pains, in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Turning to Adam, he says, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground from it you are taken. Impactful words. We understand that. We know that someday, unless God comes first, we'll die. It's just what we know as humans, right? We know how to take care of each other. That message is given to us in the Bible. God's care can be given to each of us. But what Adam and Eve didn't fully understand at that point in time was that there were some tough times coming. Sickness, health, death. And God was saying that to them. He's preparing the way in their minds for that. And it did not take long for them to see and experience death, right? Even in the next chapter, 4, verse 13, God is talking to Cain. Let's start with, with verse 8 first. Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Only took two generations to understand what death was and the impact of sin in a person's life. God's most amazing creation, the human being, now understood the capacity of death. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be restless, wander on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. 
Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And the the rest of the chapter talks about his descendants and it speaks to their ages. 800, 900 years old. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live to be 800 or 900 years old? I've thought about that text in the context of, again, here's someone that God could have probably easily said, what would we have done? Cast him aside. Cain, you had your shot. You're gone. Take you off this, this earth. God said, no. Every human being is important to God. What an important lesson for us even today as we strive to extend his care to people that need us the most. Now, the second text, I'm going to fast forward to the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. There may be no better blueprint for our health care today than to look at the framework of Jesus' healing ministry. Time after time in the New Testament, you've read and seen his healing miracles, right? The Bible says he did more healing than he did preaching. And it gives many illustrations of that. Today, I want to share with you my favorite example of that. And thank you, Rob, for reading that as part of our scripture today. It's found again in Luke 5, 17, verse 26. Now, imagine this. A room, maybe not this big. I imagine a room that was just packed, full of people, waiting to listen to Jesus speak. And what's, to me, amazing about this text is that four men worked hard to bring this paralyzed person to Jesus, first of all, right? Committed, dedicated, creative, not going to give up. And they lowered him through the roof, right? How, how clever is that? How unpredictable is that? Now, what would we do if, that, if we were sitting there and watching this happen play out in front of us? Some of us might say, well, get in line, right? Come on, we've got all these other people ready to get healed. How can these guys take a shortcut through the roof? Jesus didn't hand out tickets. He didn't say, wait in line. Don't go register at the registration desk. He he just did it. In the ministry of Jesus, he accepted people where they were. He accepted where they were and took them for whatever they could bring, right? Time and time again, he was not timid about healing people where they were. What a beautiful blueprint for us today. Our healing ministry began many years ago. The idea of the Western Reform Institute, Battle Creek, Michigan, Dr. Kellogg, our church has a very long history of this. Many of you know that history. Our first medical doctors were trained in Battle Creek, Michigan. Daniel and Loretta Kress came to this area. And today, we stand on the shoulders of people for generations that came ahead of us preparing this ministry. The idea of hospitals really isn't new. If you look back in history, it it began actually around 800 AD in the the country of Iraq. In the area of Baghdad, the Islamic culture and society had a focus on bringing sick people together in one location. A lot of the hospital work we do today was credited because they had this vision of caring for the sick. It was called Bimaristan, House of the Sick. We we owe much of our expertise today to that early study, separating infectious patients in one area of the hospital, adults, children, trying herbs and medicines were all experimented with and used at those early hospitals. In our country, 
Two and a half hours up the road, you can go and see the very first hospital that opened, Pennsylvania Hospital, founded by Ben Franklin and a Dr. Bond. It's debated a little bit because there was a hospital in New York City that claims it was the first. A few years earlier than that, Dr. Anderson began what we now know today as Bellevue Hospital. Bellevue Hospital was founded because we were experiencing the yellow fever throughout our country. Dr. Anderson's wife died, his kids died, his relatives died. He felt a calling from God's calling in his life. He wanted to open a hospital that cared for people with yellow fever, and so he did. Now today, many generations later, Bellevue Hospital is an important hospital in that community. This idea and continuation of extending God's care is going to continue to be needed, 2022. I wish with all my heart that we didn't have to take care of sick people, right? I wish that there wasn't a need for that. But until God comes to take us home again, we know that that will be necessary. And our ability to do that in a way that honor his love is something that we go to work in the morning to do and we end our days with every single day. I'd like to introduce you to three people that are on our team at Adventist Healthcare. They're gonna share with you just a short testimony of what it's like to extend God's care through the ministry of physical, mental, and spiritual healing. The first person is my friend, uh, Ms. Anita Jenkins. She's the president of Howard University Hospital. And she joined the organization there a couple of years ago when we began the management service at Howard. We recruited her from Kettering Health in Dayton, Ohio. Anita, we're so glad you're here. Tell us, how does Adventist Healthcare extend the healing ministry of Christ through physical healing at Howard University Hospital? Many of you know, thank you for having me. Many of you know how Howard University Hospital was started in 1862. It was created for the care and welfare of formerly enslaved persons. Since that time, it has been just an anchor in Washington, D.C. to care for those in need. It found itself in need itself. And Adventist Healthcare has adapted in thinking, we must be a part of that mission. Being a mission in Washington, D.C. in 2000, and it's not quite been two years, we started February 17th just in time for COVID, thank you. <laughs> we started and it was so important for Adventist Healthcare, for myself to see what the mission was, to understand that there are people who don't have good food, who do not have good healthcare. Those healthcare disparities showed themselves very clearly at Howard University Hospital. And we were starting to see, hmm, those without health care or black and brown in the inner city are dying more and getting sick more. It was painful to see. But Adventist Healthcare is there. It's not for the weak. Um, one thing that Terry said, as we go and do this great mission, we must have courage. God sends us for mission work and he never said that it would be easy or convenient. It is what God means for us to do. I've had a million opportunities to just explain what I've known all my life, the Seventh-day Adventist faith, or Christ, or the love of God. So what are they about again? And you know, they know some things. Wait, so what about food? <laughs> it's been a blessing. And I thank you very much for being that part of healing. What we are doing now is spreading the word differently. We are not only in the ministry of healing, 
cardiac care, hypertension, diabetes, or trauma. We are now saying, and I'd like to make sure that moms understand how important it is to breastfeed their children or how important it is to eat differently, to live and learn. That's the Seventh-day Adventist faith and Adventist Healthcare's mission. And that's the impact we're having in Washington, DC. Thank you, Nina. Thank you for sharing that. The second area is mental healing, mental health healing. Adventist Healthcare has a deep commitment to those three pillars of healing, physical, mental, and spiritual. And I'm gonna introduce you to Marcel Wright. Marcel is the Vice President of Behavioral Health uh, for our system. Marcel, thank you for your leadership and all that you do for us. Talk to us a little bit about that ministry of mental health healing. How do we do that? How do we accomplish that throughout our organization? Thanks, Terry. Glad to be with everyone today. Um, I recognize that our um, our mission statement is one that, that speaks to the wholeness. Um, but if I could just advocate for some slight changes, if we could just put mental in all caps and, and adjust that, that would be helpful. I'm just saying, that would be helpful. Uh, it, it's that important. Uh, that if you think about it, while we want to be full of whole care, the reality is, is our brain. It's, it's the CPU of the body. And yet it is, it is fascinating how over time, as we think about health, it is sometimes what receives less attention, uh, particularly for those of us who have grown up in, in, in environments of faith. The reality is over time, sometimes we've even seen in the past tension between faith and mental health care versus there being a partnership. They are critical uh, to our success. And so Adventist Healthcare in this community has served as a significant provider of care for the youngest of children, literally uh, children and their families, uh, zero to three, all the way up through the geriatric population. We provide services in this area. I will share with you all one story to just capture just a little bit about what we do. And I think all good stories should start in Target. <laughs> So I was in Target one day shopping and looking for some stuff for the kids. And one of the supervisors came up to me, Umi, and she said, you work in behavioral health in Rockville. Now, you have to understand in the nature of the business that we do, sometimes that's a little bit of an anxious moment, Anthony. You're not quite sure what's coming. And so I said, I do. <laughs> and she responded back and she said, my mother went to your hospital, Shady Grove. She was assaulted by her boyfriend and she came to your hospital. I knew she was actually talking about Terry, our forensic unit there at Shady Grove Medical Center, which provide that support for the county. She said, I remember that I was nine years old when that happened, I was with her. She said, over the last seven or eight years, the challenge that I saw with my mom and her environment started to affect me. And I found myself in my own bad compromising situation, Duane. And well, I have a child now and I've been to your hospital lots of times. On your Chesapeake unit, it's our adolescent inpatient psychiatric unit. She said, I, I just wanted to say thank you. She said, you gave me a chance. She said, all, all I've ever wanted for was a chance. She said, I, I hope that the work, that you should know that what you did, I'm, I'm doing something with my child that maybe I didn't see. 
I've got a chance. I'm going to take advantage of it. That's a part of the mission, Terry. That's a part of extending God's work. And we're thrilled for it to be such a huge part of the message and the service that we provide. Thank you, Marcel. Next, I'd like to introduce you to Ann Rhoda. Ann Rhoda serves as our Vice President for Mission, Integration, and Spiritual Care. And thank you for your leadership in our ministry as well. Share with us how, how does Adventist Healthcare deliver on the spiritual part of healing within the organization? Absolutely, thank you so much, Terry. You probably have heard Terry throughout his sermon mention the term ministry of healing. Well, I, I, we know what that is, but I wanna share with all of you what that really means. It's not just any ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ that we are emulating. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ that we are trying to extend and continue in the 21st century. It's really interesting that, you know, quite a number of years ago, there was a term, what would Jesus do? And and embedded in our mission is that question that we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? And that actually informs the way that we write policies. It informs the way that we develop our procedures. It informs the standards of behavior throughout our organization. How would Jesus handle this situation? And if anybody, most of you I'm sure, have studied the life and the ministry of Jesus, one thing that really stands out, and that is Jesus was incarnational. He came to this earth to be with people. And as he healed, he healed without judgment. He healed every single person. He did not pick and choose. He healed every single person. And that's what's really important um, in, in, in this organization is that's what we really strive to do. No one is turned away because that's what Jesus would do. And I think that there was an example, and I've shared this with you many times, Terry, of what incarnational ministry really looked like with boots on the ground. So 18 months, the height of our COVID um, pandemic, hospitals were all closed to family members. People were so lonely, they were so isolated, they were afraid, and there was no one there to be with them. And so this organization committed to having their chaplains, a a group of extremely dedicated chaplains, be incarnational, to be by that bedside, to be with that person, to be the surrogate family. And there are so many times as a patient was unfortunately declining from COVID, our chaplain would go there hold the hand of that patient because the goal here was nobody would feel alone. Jesus would not have wanted anybody to suffer alone. And so the chaplain would be there holding the hand of that patient, an iPad on their other hand with family members, praying together, singing songs together and encouraging the life of that patient. That's what living our, our ministry is about. That's what extending the ministry of Jesus looks like. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for sharing that. The reality of our world today is that a lot of people just don't care. Too often in our hospitals, 
Patients are just dropped off. There's not a family member to connect them with. They may not care for their health. They may not care for a family member's health. And so they're lost. They're lonely. They don't know which way to turn. I'm thankful that our church, the Seventh Avenue Church, cares enough that we include physical, mental, and spiritual healing and that we'll keep the lights on. We'll see anyone that walks in our door and we'll try and offer a glimpse, try and offer a connection, a bridge to what God's care for humanity is about. And until he comes again, it's my hope that our church will continue that and our efforts won't be in vain because God does love every human being.